The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode has two segments. In the first, I interview Vince Kreckler of Day 2 Events, the company that runs many of the regional Pokemon tournaments in the middle of the U.S. I took this opportunity to talk with him about how things are going for the first full season back from the pandemic, and gave him an opportunity to talk about some of the other events they run. The second segment is a discussion of the music of Pokepark Wii, Pikachu's Adventure. And for Big V Podcast helps me cover the soundtrack of this final fourth generation side game. As you might expect, Pokey Park's array of environments meant that we got to discuss a wide range of tunes. If you want to know what we thought of the game itself, we examined that after the outro. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm at the 2023 Midwest Regionals in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for Pokemon. And I'm here with Vince Kreckler. He's one of the owners of Day 2 Events, who runs this and several other major events throughout the year. So, Vince, we just had a few questions. Let's talk about it. First of all, how did Day 2 Events get started? It's sort of a combination of several uh, tournament organizers, isn't it? Yes. We have Jimmy Ballard of Top Cut Events and myself and my wife of Yeti Gaming got together last a couple years ago and said, we'd like to do this as a collaboration. So we sat down and we have had a seamless partnership running these events for a little over a year now. Yeah, yeah. So this is the first year back from the pandemic. Things are getting more back to normal, at least. What's it been like uh, for this first year? What's kind of surprised you? Well, it's been really nice, Stephen, to have it go from really worrying about all the post-COVID things to almost feeling like we're getting back to normal. But what's really surprised me is just this attendance. I mean, we're looking at over 2,000 players right now playing in this event this weekend. And it's spectacular to see just the number of Go players, video game players, and our trading card game friends. That It's just been an amazing series of events. Yeah, yeah. things got back a little bit last uh, calendar year, but now things are, are fully back. Um, now, you don't have any other... Uh, Pokemon events this season, and you can't talk about next season just yet. Can't yet, Steven. I know, but that's okay. I kind of expected that. You do have some other things uh, that you can talk about, like you're going to be at Gen Con. Tell us about that. Yeah, we'll be working and we'll be helping demo the new Star Wars Unlimited game for Fantasy Flight Games, so we're excited to be assisting in that rollout. And Gen Con's probably the next big one on our schedule in August 2023. All right, and anything else you wanted to share about how the, this event has gone with the folks at home? Oh, this event's been spectacular. I mean, we have a great staff. We've got great players. We're doing everything from the traditional trading cards to side events, including we were throwing ring toss and doing carnival games. I mean, we're trying to make this a fun atmosphere for everyone. And uh, as an attendee, I think you've done a great job of that. All right, well, thank you very much, Vince. This has been Stephen Reich from the Wisconsin Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at the 2023 Midwest Pokemon Regionals. As far as I can tell, Happy Together's use in the first Detective Pikachu trailer wasn't because of any super-specific lyrical parallel with the plot of the film. Sure, Tim whips out his phone a few times and occasionally acts a little crazy, but really it seems that the song was meant to highlight the buddy cop aspect of the movie. And perhaps this suggests that Tim and Detective Pikachu might have wound up with each other for a reason. Musically, the song's melancholic verses and incredibly bright chorus parallel the film's darker but not too dark tone, and to a certain extent the personalities of the main characters, with Tim being more low-key and Detective Pikachu more energetic. With all that said, however, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that this isn't the first time the song has come into Pokémon's orbit. Fans of the original N64 Smash Brothers will remember that ads for that game also use this tune, adding another level of nostalgia to the mix. Anyway, do you have your own thoughts on any of this? Feel free to let us know. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. 
I'm on the phone with Anne from PQD Podcast. And we're continuing our Pokemon side game music discussion series. And we've reached basically the last Gen 4 side game, Poke Park Wii Pikachu's Adventure. So uh, as the name kind of implies, this is a Wii game. It's, I guess, a sort of a spiritual successor to some of the prior Pikachu-centered games like Hey You Pikachu and Pokemon Channel, but it goes in a very different direction structurally and in terms of gameplay. So this was released in 2009 in Japan, uh, December of that year, and then everywhere else it came out in 2010. So let's see, in the EU it came out in July of 2010. In Australia, it came out in September of 2010. And then finally, in North America, it came out in November of 2010. So kind of an interesting spread there of dates. As far as our initial experience with it, I know I definitely played it when it came out, picked it up on disc, and played through it for um, all the way through. And I asked you about this in the pre-show, and I assume you were aware of this game at some point before this, but you've only barely been able to actually play it. Can you sort of describe that? Yeah, so, I mean, I was aware of it in the same way that I was aware of a lot of games, um, but this is one that I don't think I ever actually played, like, in a, like, at a convention or at a friend's house or anything. So this one I had to track down a physical copy and uh, my local... Uh, used game store is very helpful with me on these on these endeavors, but I did not actually get my hands on it until just today. So I, I have very limited playing experience on this one. I definitely didn't play it right when it came out, so missed all the hype around it. Yeah, I forget. When this originally came out, did you have access to a Wii or did you just miss this oh, no. game? <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't have a Wii until... We were well into the Wii U era. Uh, so. that, you know, whatever. Uh, as long as you made it there in the end, so that's what counts. <laughs> right. But, um, all right, well, let's talk about some of the folks behind this. Uh, this is a Creatures, Inc. developed game. So Creatures is sort of one of the co-owners of the Pokemon franchise. Uh, prior to this, as far as actual game development, they had done uh, the Pokemon Ranger games, which we've been discussing a lot lately. Um, and it may not surprise you that some of the folks who worked, especially on the Guardian Signs game that we discussed last time, also worked on this one. And that extends to the sound and music team. Uh, our sound director is uh, Takuto Kitsuda, if my sources are correct here. Uh, of course, worked on, let's see, Mother 3 for the N64 that never came out. The Some e-cards, credited Heart Gold Soul Silver, and the Detective Pikachu game. Let's see, since we just talked about most of these folks last month, I assume that you don't have anything too much to add, Anne. Nothing personal, of course. Um, only Yeah, the only thing I can add is to Manami Kyoto, the one of Yeah, the we do ones. have one new person on this, which is going to be pretty pretty fun to talk about. But yeah, our, our oldies, I unfortunately don't have much new to add. Uh, moving on, we have Ken Ichikuyano, who worked on uh, Guardian Signs. Let's see, Inuyasha Fuel Combat, Bloody Roar, and uh, Sigero... Yoshida, Guardian Signs, as we mentioned, and the anime series, Ryo. However, as Anne mentioned earlier, we do have one new person we haven't covered before at all, Munami Kyota, uh, who is actually best known for her work in the Xenoblade series, although I think this was before all of that. Of course, Xenoblade um, started on the Wii and uh, has since become a fairly major Nintendo franchise, not up there with like Pokemon or Mario or Zelda, but still a very successful franchise there. Uh, Anne, uh, what, what can you kind of add there? Yeah, well, she's got quite the life. She, she is living. She started taking piano lessons at age four. Um, kind of looks like she studied a lot of other musical instruments as she kind of continued with school, um, but started with classical vocal music. Um, in college, got interested in um, Japanese folk music, and I see in here, like, Bulgarian-style music, um, so that's interesting. Got Had a license to teach music, and, like, she's not only, like, a composer for video games and an arranger, but, like, she's a performer and um, a musician and a vocalist. She's done vocals on some games, and, like, she's got this... Uh, cooperation with uh the japan aerospace exploration agency where she like composed albums and then performed for various like planetarium style 
like I think she performed at a planetarium at one point, but like to kind of um, promote that sort of thing. And like, she's got some very be- beautiful music that she's composed and or performed with on YouTube, like just from her personal projects outside of video games. Um, so she's she's just got a very wide wide CV. Uh, it says on her website that currently she's focusing most on uh, composing and arranging with like video games and television and commercials and the like. Um, she also runs a music production unit called Manamik. So yeah, she's just living her best life since 2003. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did notice that some of her credits were actually for vocals, uh, including I believe in the uh, Xenoblade series. So uh, very well-respected series uh, just in terms of gameplay, but also in terms of music, and uh, good to see her being very successful there. All right, well, let's sort of talk about the overall style of this one. Now, as the name kind of implies, this is sort of... It doesn't really have anything to do with the actual physical Poke Park that was back in, like, the Zeros in Japan and Taiwan for a little bit, but... Sort of what they're going for here is that each area of the park has a very distinct thematic melody or or track to it. And as a result, you get kind of a mix of instrumentation. Uh, Some of it is is rather orchestral. Some of it is very synth-based. And was was that sort of your take uh, stylistically on it? Yeah, I would say so, because, yeah, if I had to talk about the unifying... I don't know, theme of the music, like, we'll talk about our different tracks later, that this soundtrack went hard on variety, but there does seem to be, like, a a unifying factor in that even with the synth instruments, it sounds very orchestral, and it sounds like, I don't know for sure if they recorded them live, but when I listen to the tracks, I get the feel that all the instruments were in the room like you would record an orchestra, even even say the synth keyboards even the electric guitar it feels like it feels like my memories of concert band when i listen to it so if it wasn't actually recorded in an orchestral style it definitely was composed and mixed and arranged um with that feel in mind and that is what seems to tie the entire track together like like just a very interesting feel to it given the wide variety we're about to talk about yeah, and uh, speaking of variety, as usual, each of us have picked out three tracks, and we're going to talk about them one by one. Let's see, the three I picked out were Meeting Place, Pelipper's Circle Circuit, and Lava Zone, Blaziken. That is one track name there, but uh, Anne, what tracks did you pick out? I picked Gyarados's Aqua Dash, Rhyperior's Bumper Burn, and The Haunted Zone. Yeah, so... Pretty good variety. Uh, we did pick mm-hmm. some of the what are called attractions, which are basically the sort of mini games that you play that are, are a bit more substantial. Uh, also, some of the area themes. We usually try and go over these in roughly the order you're going to go through them in the game. So we'll start off with one of mine, which is the meeting place. So this isn't actually the first place you see in the game. It's a little ways into it after you sort of clear the first area. You come to this sort of hub. And uh, it has this this music that is sort of a combination. There's a lot of piano, there's some flute, there's some wood block. And, and it, it's very pleasant. And what were your sort of uh, first observations with this track? Yeah, like just with, um, it's all wind instruments, like flutes and oboes. And like with the piano, like it gives it a very classical feel to it. Like very Edwardian dinner entertainment sort of feel, like like, if you watch, say, like, a Pride and Prejudice or something, like, this is the sort of thing that they'd be playing on their harpsichord with, like, a flute in the background or something. Like, there's just something very classical Western music about it. And, and yeah, just, again, very deliberate in their use of style and orchestration, um, that it's only the wind instruments, it's only the piano, and maybe, like, that little bit of percussion. But even that is, again, a very classical style of percussion. Like, it's just a woodblock. Yeah, I also noticed something of like a leading and following quality. Like there'd be a thing that would play for a few notes, and then right after it, there'd be sort of like like call and response doesn't quite seem correct there. It's more of a lead and follow. I, I don't know, but I did notice that occurred a fair bit within this track. And did you uh, notice that as well? Yeah, and and again, that kind of feeds into that just kind of classical sense because it does. 
oh gosh, I don't remember. My piano teacher is going to get me. But like there is a, a term for like a little motif that gen- gets repeated but like slightly twisted a little bit different later. And and again, it's kind of a lead and follow, a, a kind of call and response thing. Um, but it's very present in a lot of classical music of a certain era. So again, it just kind of feeds into that sense, I suppose. Yeah, I think the word you might be looking for, I'm not sure it's entirely correct either, is leitmotif. Is that what you're looking for? Is it something else? It's not sounding like the one she taught me, but that could be another form for it. That could be it. (laughs) I asked my mom, a retired orchestra teacher, about this. Apparently it's called a sequence. All right, that's okay. I did also want to mention that there's an up and down quality of some of it. Uh, there's some verticality in this area. There's a treehouse that's in the middle of it that you can uh, explore through. And I think at, at some point in the game, you do have to go like all the way up to the top to find something uh, in there. Um, and then uh, there's one part, I think at the end of the A section, where there's a descending chromaticism on the piano. So you can't actually jump off the treehouse, I don't think, but uh, it sort of sounds kind of like that to me. I don't know. Anne, did you notice that? I, I didn't, but that's that's really cool. Kind of musically makes the use of space within the game. That's kind of neat. All right. Well, let's talk about my second track. This is from one of the attractions in the beach area. This is Pelipper's Circle Circuit. In terms of instrumentation, it has bright guitar and drums. As you're basically, this is a flying minigame where your goal is to run through as many circles or rings as possible to score as many points as possible. What I actually noticed stylistically is it reminds me a lot of sort of the early 3D Sonic games and their music, specifically like the the first Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 and maybe a few of the games of, of that era. And what was sort of the vibe you got from it, Anne? Well, it's funny that you said early Sonic games. Like, I also thought of early games, but, like, I first called to mind that old Nintendo 64 Jet Ski game. Um, but, yeah, I kind of get the same vibes as you do. It's very bright. It's very happy. It feels very light, like you're flying over an ocean and or racing. Like, there's a lot of little high notes kind of tucked away in the background that kind of facilitate just this feeling of moving upward. The notes just kind of um, trickle up, and it kind of just gives a lifting quality to it. That's very fun. Yeah, I think you're thinking of uh, Wave Race 64, which actually I think compares better to one of the tracks you picked that we'll be talking about shortly. (laughs) Yeah, probably less musically is what it called back, but just more the visuals, I think, is what I pictured in my mind when I heard this music. (laughs) I suppose. Like I said, I, I gravitated more towards some of the earlier 3D Sonic games. Um, <laughs> but although I like this track, I feel like it, it is missing something. And I, I that's kind of a criticism I have of a lot of the uh, attraction tunes uh, for those uh, attraction minigames. Um, not that I think they're all bad or anything. Uh, this is definitely one of my preferred ones. But I figure... I think this one could have more of a lead and melody in there than it does. I, I don't know. Anne, what were your kind of thoughts? I think that makes sense. Like, I wouldn't have thought much about it until you said something, possibly because I don't think I played this particular area in, <laughs> in my brief time with it. So the idea of it lacking until you said something I didn't really think of. But, like, now that you say it, like, yeah, I can't really remember picking out a melody or a tune it per se, and I do think that that would kind of just make the song. Yeah, not necessarily saying they need to bring in Crush 40, um, who did a lot of the vocal songs in the early 3D Sonic games, but I do feel, and we'll talk about this more with some of the other tracks, that maybe there could have been a little bit more to this one that would give it a bit more of a distinct, like, like it has a style, but not so much of a melodic identity is sort of where I'm going with that. All right, and let's talk about your first pick. This is another uh, game or attraction in the beach area. This is Gyarados' Aquadash. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why you picked this one? Right. So I was kind of going for, again, variety when I picked mine because this uh, soundtrack boasts a lot of it. So this one uh, has a very iconic feel to it. It's It feels like it's all synth instruments, 
It feels like an 80s workout dance class. It's very Fame the Musical, very Jane Fonda. Like, it's got a lot of energy to it. It's, you know, it feels fun and happy. But the second you hear it, it sounds like old workout VHS tapes. And that's, it's very, it's very distinctively it. Like, the, the it's very different than the other two tracks I picked. Um, but I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to go for. I didn't feel the sense of like beach and water in the same way that I did for the Pelipper one, um, which I thought was an interesting choice, but it also seemed to fit a little bit um, just in that this is energetic. This makes you want to dash. It makes you want to do things. So. So the stuff I had down for this. um, Yeah, it's definitely synth, a very distorted synth uh, Mm -hmm. on there. (laughs) And I actually felt like it had sort of a tilting left and right quality. Um, if this were an ice track, that would give it a bit of a skiing vibe. But going back to sort of you know the jet ski portion of it, I, I kind of did compare it a little bit to Wave Race and other similar games like that, where you're trying to go through buoys and stuff like that on a mm. course. That kind of gave me uh, that type of vibe from it. Do you think that's a, a, a fair point? Or I definitely do. Again, like the rhythmic left and right could easily yeah feel like you're going around obstacles and the like. To my mind, the first thing that came was lifting the weights. But I definitely think it it fits what you're supposed to be doing there at the beach. Yeah, and the and the workout part is is uh, I think that also is a valid descriptor for this one. Anything else you wanted to say about this track? Um, no, it is my least favorite of the three I picked. So I think that's its novelty is what I wanted to highlight. <laughs> Ah, interesting. All right, well, Anne, another one of your tracks is right up next here. This is Riperior's Bumper Burn. This is another attraction. This time it's in the Lava Zone. Tell us about this one. Yes, this is my favorite of the three I picked. This may be my favorite on the whole album. Like, it's almost a metal track. Like, there is this crunchy bass um, and electric guitars and stringed instruments like along with the synths it's got a lot of edge to it it feels like the most edgy the most rock or metal track that we've had in a in a side game at least and it's yeah it's just very heavy in that sense of like metal and heavy rock that is very striking it's very fun it's cool so I really liked that. And for, like, I haven't played the particular area that this one is for, the the game, but it feels very tough and very rumble around and, and um, boulders and the like. So it seem I imagine it fits really well. Yeah, just to briefly describe this uh, mini game, you're on a, a top usually, unless you're a Pokemon that can spin by itself, and your goal is to knock other Pokemon off the platform to score points. But as far as like the instrumentation, I, I put down this has a bit of a, a, a dirtier guitar part, at least compared to something we, we mentioned from Pokemon Rumble a couple discussions ago, had more of a clean one for its boss theme. This one, I think, is a little more uh, dirty in terms of uh, distortion guitar. One thing I kind of noticed, I'm not sure if, if I'm you know observing this correctly, it sounded like there were maybe a slight Asian vibe to some of the music. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that either way. I just thought... Maybe with some of the chord progressions or something like that. It's not a main feature of it, but if you listen to some of the backing instruments, you can hear a little bit of it. Like I said, maybe it's just uh, the key it's in or whatever. But uh, Anne, do you agree, disagree, or whatever on that? Um, I didn't notice. I mean, if I went back and like tried to plunk out what I heard on the piano, we might find that they were in kind of a more, more of a pentatonic scale or something. It's not surprising all the people who worked on this were Asian, that they might have drawn from their own culture to compose. Um, but no, I didn't terribly notice it. Um, but if I went back and like really hyper analyzed it, maybe I'd find that you were right, but it didn't stick out to me. No. All right. May well be a mistake on my part, but I was just listening to yeah, it uh, before this discussion and that sort of suddenly sort of popped out to me. Uh, maybe if I just pointed out the thing it was, it would have a better name for it. Um, anything else you wanted to say about this track? No, I think that's that's good. Just just that it's cool. Admittedly, Don't Say You Love Me doesn't have much relation to the plot of Pokemon the first movie. At best, you could relate it to Brock. 
but perhaps that's better left unexplored. Anyway, this debut single from M2M was likely intended to serve as more of a bridge that would raise awareness about the band for the movie audience and the movie for the music audience. If nothing else, it probably generated buzz for the movie in M2M's native Norway. As for the song itself, the assertive tone does wind up being a good fit for the franchise, representing the stand-up-for-yourself theme of the series without sounding excessively angry. This tone carries into the music video, whose drive-in theater setting gives it a more casual feel, and of course provides a convenient opportunity to work in scenes from the movie. Speaking of the movie, have you ever noticed that the names of the two featured Pokémon line up neatly with the name of the band? Nice bonus, I suppose, but it's obviously not the only reason they were selected. Anyway, do you have any thoughts about this song? Be sure to let us know. Thanks. Alright, well let's go on to my third track. This is Lava Zone Blaziken. So, sort of to talk about how the different area themes in this game go. When you're outside, uh, it's just sort of in the area, usually there's a somewhat ambient area theme. And I'm not sure if this is like context-sensitive music or anything like that, but basically there's a, there'll be a loop, and then towards the end of that loop, there'll be some sort of sound usually that comes in. But if that area has sort of a boss character, uh, like in the uh, Meadow Zone, I believe there's, there's Venusaur, and, and that has a slightly different, more elaborate version of the Meadow Zone theme, and similar for some of the other ones. So for the Lava Zone, sort of the, uh, the ruler of that area is Blaziken, and uh, there's a theme for the Lava Zone itself, but when you get into Blaziken's little um, area there, what happens is it, you get a, a much more elaborate version. That's what I've picked here. The main thing I noticed about this, and you can hear it definitely in the other one, is that there are these oppressive horn sounds, because, of course, Lava Zone is a very hot area, and that does kind of go along with, with that kind of area. It's also somewhat industrial, and I think the, the horns work there. And um, what are your kind of observations? Um, well, I just loved that. This track is all the brass band, like the first track of yours, you know, was all the wind instruments and the piano, you know, mine was like embracing, you know, distortion and like the live qualities of a, of a, of a bass guitar amplifier. This one is all the brass section, like just uh, listening to that low brass is so beautiful. And it, it just really feels like they're utilizing every section of the orchestra, and I, I appreciate that. I think it's very cool. And it gives the Lava Zone, like, its own flavor amongst um, all the tracks. Yeah, Structurally, one thing I wanted to point out about this is that there's a um, there's kind of two very distinct horns. I don't know if they're sections or what. And they sort of interlock. It's, it's sort of, I guess, a call and response like we talked about earlier, but maybe... Like, like, there's, there'll be a part, like, at the beginning, I'm not getting the melody quite right there. And then for, like, the last two notes of the phrase, there'll be a, da-da, you know, from from a slightly different horn section. And that goes through a couple times in the A section of this of this track. So kind of, like, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like a counterpoint, kind of, almost? or that, that might be one way of describing it. I'm not sure the exact correct music terminology there. Apparently, this sort of thing doesn't have a name, according to my mom, for it. Um, but that, that is something I definitely noticed structurally. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely like say it's, it's interesting with the structure, as you say, because it definitely sounds like they are using different horns. And like with how they've mixed it and panned it, like you definitely get a feel of like this section of the orchestra is playing and then this... The, you know, these five players are playing and then these five players are... So it's... Like, I don't know if I'm describing it in the same way you kind of experienced it, but, like, there definitely is in the way it's not just composed, but arranged, staged, mixed, panned, that, like, really kind of makes all the parts feel separate as they're playing together, I guess. It, does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, to an extent, I, I have a feeling this part is going to be fun to edit, but um, that's okay. All right, well, let's sort of talk about your third track, then. This is the Haunted Zone, so there is a basically a ghost house area of the Poke Park. Um, 
And what what sort of stood out to you for this one? Yeah, this is just a very spooky little track. Um, I really loved about it is it has these synth notes playing, but it's like the way it's distorted or or modulated or however however synths work. It sounds a lot like bubbles, like a, a boiling bog, or like it gives the um. Like the icon they always use for poison in the Pokemon games is like those little bubbles. Like it's just a very interesting instrumental affectation. And then it's got this eerie pad going in the background. But like there's not a ton of instruments actually going in. It makes a lot of use of um, space and quiet. So it just has this feeling of being very eerie but you can hear little things going on in the background and like a sort of little bit of a synth just kind of pressing down on you it's it very much gives off haunted vibes yeah i, I do i'm not 100 sure i think we picked out the the same track here but i just want to say that my observation is yes ambient sparse strings is what i have down for this one there's a lot of even more so than some of the other area themes there's a lot of empty space in this one which i'm sure is intentional because obviously you know in a haunted space something can jump out at you at any time so you want to make sure people don't feel completely safe <laughs> it is spooky in a different way than i would say like uh, big boo's haunt the ghost house level from mario 64 which has a bit more of a disturbing quality to it this one <laughs> as it is a somewhat different type of spooky one thing I did want to mention here is there is a, a variant of this. Remember how we talked about with the lava zone, there's the outside lava zone, then there's the Blaziken area. There is a Rotom area uh, where Rotom's attraction takes place. It, it still uses sort of some same base, but it adds more science lab sort of uh, sounds in there. Um, mm. Do you have anything to say about that particular variant? Um, I didn't listen to it a ton, but like I, I chose this one just because I liked it better. Like I thought the Rotom one was a little too cluttered. It makes sense that if you're like actually doing something within the game that you'd want a little bit more action going on in the track. Um, but I specifically picked this one just because it kind of took all that out and just left you with the stuff that makes you unsettled. But yeah, science labby is uh, definitely a good way to word it. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of had, had difficulty with the Rotom version, kind of even describing or coming up with words for some of the added sounds they had in there. But I definitely wanted to mention it Mm -hmm. sort of a variant there. All right. Well, I mean, as far as sound effects in this one, there's there's a pretty good variety for some of the, the menus and, and also other stuff. And also all, the Pokemon themselves are actually voiced mostly, if not entirely, by the then-current, you know, fourth-generation voice cast. What do you think of the Pokemon voices in this game? Um, They sounded really nice and kind of what we've, like, I mean... Maybe not necessarily recorded at the level we've come to expect, but for these types of games where you're like playing as Pokemon, interacting with Pokemon, like in a way, I feel like I've kind of come to accept that that's a thing. Like it felt like they would have been missing without it. It was kind of interesting because it was, um, this is all the TPCI dub cast, plus obviously um, Utani uh, as the voice of Pikachu. I don't know. It seems like some of the voices were actually trying to be closer to the... Maybe it's just because this was earlier in the TPCI dub era, but some of them sound like they might actually be trying to be closer to the uh, to the Four Kids era, and maybe they were back then. Any any, any thoughts on that? Um, It's definitely possible. Like, it, it's definitely a time in that... in both the anime dub and, like, the game's history and trying to solidify everything and trying to use those actors that they're still a little bit finding their feet. So yeah, that's possible that that was a direction they were deliberately trying to take. But who knows? <laughs> All right, well, let's sort of talk about our overall opinion of the music here. Um, so I will say that every area of the Poke Park pretty much has a, a theme that matches it stylistically. But it, you may have caught from some of my things that I said earlier in here, I think some of the themes could have been a bit more elaborate from perhaps a, a composition or melodic perspective. Um, certainly a lot of the, the attraction themes um, I felt could have been a little more interesting from a composition standpoint. I don't know, Anne, uh, what were your kind of thoughts? Do you agree, disagree, or, or, or go sideways on it, or whatever? <laughs> Maybe go sideways, because like, 
I'm not sure I agree, but I'm not sure I disagree either. Like, I was really kind of enchanted by just how much variety there was. And like I said, it felt like it felt like they were recording with an actual orchestra and like not just your traditional orchestra, but like, you know, they also brought in synths and they brought in electric guitars and they brought in like all kinds of different percussion, even if it was, you know, necessarily wasn't necessarily live. It was maybe all sampled instruments or whatever, maybe, but it like they put in so much effort to make it sound like there was a world's worth of instruments and like it had the feel of an orchestra in the way that many of um the previous soundtracks we've talked about didn't for me this kind of again gave me the feel that i was seeing different musicians play and like here is a horn section divided by the uh, like i don't know they said there was something very real about this soundtrack that enchanted me and i loved it and in that sense like i didn't feel anything lacking um, but that, like, again, now that you've brought it up, there's a part of me that is, like, they had so much that they, like, went above and beyond in a lot of ways. Why stop there? Why not give more to some of those tracks? Like, we, you were saying, like, Pelipper's, um, Circuit, like, that could have had a melody and it would have just made it, like, just elevated it a little bit. And there were a few tracks on here uh, that just felt a little like they could have been a little more. Um, but again, it, if like there's a part of me is like, do I really feel it was lacking when my initial impression was this was a leap ahead of what I feel like I've heard before? So I think I'm going to go sideways because I'm not I'm not sure I disagree, but I'm not sure I agree either. That is perfectly okay. <laughs> I don't hate this by any means. I just feel like there are certain tracks, uh, particularly I think some of the attraction themes and a few of the other places that I think could have gone a little bit further. It, it's worth noting there are actually a, a few unused tracks if you take a look at the soundtrack for this, which have some additional variations on like, not the attractions, but the individual games you play with individual Pokemon have some additional variants that were never used in the game, which is kind of interesting. Um, that do some additional things in there. Um, I guess one other point of comparison we should definitely make here is to some of the movies, and specifically like the Pikachu shorts that a lot of them had, both prior to this and also, like they didn't tie them in always directly to the movie and stuff, but you, you kind of get the idea. What are your, do you have any um, like observations there, Anne? You're comparing the soundtrack of this game to a Pikachu short? Yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of wanted to pick your brain there. I'm not sure exactly what I think, but I'm hoping you have something right more concrete. Um, but um, I think I would like to hear this team, Manami specifically, composing for a Pikachu short. Um, there's something about the the composition here and like just the general production that sounds very fresh, not only in terms of Pokemon games, but of Pokemon in general sometimes. I, I don't know that I have much to say about comparing it to other than, yeah, I I would like to see this team composing a Pikachu short. I think it they would fit very well and yet give us something slightly different than what we've heard before. Yeah, it was just something I wanted to, to bring up as a point of comparison, because, you know, there are some definite similarities. There's, this is a world that's all Pokemon, mm. no humans to be seen in, in either this game or its direct sequel, and certainly compared to some of the other Pikachu games that we have talked about and will talk about, that it sort of begs that level of comparison. I'm not sure, like I said, it's a game not a that's interactive, not a movie, so there are some differences there, but it was just something I, I felt needed to be brought up. That's true. I hadn't thought about it that way. That, yeah, like this, this, we are entirely in the Pokemon's world for this, this game. Yeah. Yeah, even in a different way than, say, like the Mystery Dungeon game. So I, I just right. kind of wanted to, it felt like to me that there, there definitely was some, even if I couldn't put it into words, some sort of inspiration or connection there. So I wanted to point that out. Yeah, there's definitely a through line. 
All right, well, now that we've discussed the music, we have a few other housekeeping issues to go through. One of those is our feedback section. Remember, if you have a comment on this or any of our other discussions, you can always either leave a comment on one of these videos, you can drop us an email, pokepress at gmail.com, or you can try and find us on social media, uh, specifically Twitter, at pokepress. But in any event, I have a few comments I wanted to get through here. So the first of them is on... Peter Moshe explains how Dream Streets, they don't understand what's recorded. So this is an interview I did uh, a little over two years ago at this point where I talked to Peter Moshe, the engineer on Dream Streets, they don't understand from the Pokemon 2000 soundtrack. We got a comment from Brony King Amethyst Rain. It says, and there are still no covers of the song. Boo! So I sort of responded, uh, there are some third-party karaoke covers from back in the day, but yeah. At least the Pokemon version finally got on digital services in 2021. So this is, remember, this is the uh, Adults Don't Get Pokemon song. Well, the male one of those is also blah, blah, blah. But uh, They Don't Understand has a Pokemon version and a non-Pokemon version. And the non-Pokemon version had been on, you know, digital services for a while, and they just finally got that. But as far as covers, you know, it's interesting, like, what vocal Pokemon songs get covers and which ones don't. Obviously, like, the original... Pokemon theme, the English Pokemon theme, gets tons of covers. It's a very common one. Um, assuming you count it as a Pokemon song, Flying Without Wings has a lot of covers. Um, some of the stuff further down seems just not nearly to get as many. I don't know. Anne, do you have any uh, insights you wanted to share on this one or just, you know, personal experience or whatever? It didn't occur to me that this song doesn't have a ton of covers or any covers. I... I'm interested now in going through um, the my Clear Song website and seeing if it's hard to get the rights to cover and uh, at least digitally distribute this song. Um, I'll I'll look into this uh, King Brony because if there's no legal reason not to cover this song, I feel like someone should do it. Yeah, I was just kind of curious. I think some of it may just be, first of all, there's so much instrumental Pokemon music, and that gets covered a lot. And, you know, it's easy. I don't know if it's easier to, if you don't have to do vocals or stuff, because, you know, singing is, is tough, especially if you do it well. I don't know if that sort of drowns it out, and that's why there's not as much, or if folks do a lot, tend to just do a lot more of the surface level stuff, like I said, like like the English Pokemon theme in there and stuff. I, I don't know. But um, I'm sure there's a variety of reasons. Um, but I just kind of wanted to point that out, that it's, um, it's just not as common for vocal Pokemon songs to get uh, that many covers. Like I said, it may be just be a logistical thing, um, but uh, we'll see there. Mm -hmm. All right, so next one we have, um, this is live-streaming Pokepark Wii Pikachu's Adventure. So the... Usually before we do a music discussion, usually the weekend before or sometime early in the week, I will try and do a live stream. This video is actually uh, it automatically unlisted itself at the end of the live stream. Um, but um, this is where I just played through the game for a while, and I, and I tried to do my best to comment on some of the music and stuff. Uh, but this is actually about a gameplay aspect. Um, so in the beach area... Um, there's a part where you have to sort of clean up some bottles that have washed up on shore and get them into the recycle bin... And at one point, I find one that's, like, directly behind the recycle bin, and yet somehow did not make it in there. <laughs> so, uh, DDO3 says, boy, that person couldn't be bothered to pick this up and get it. It's right behind the recycle bin, and he, he got a good laugh out of that one. <laughs> like I said, I think these things have washed up on shore there, so maybe that's just a coincidence that it almost made it to where it needed to go. I do kind of hope it's not someone sending messages for help uh, in, uh, in a bottle that, that, are, oh dear. that we're tossing in there. But it's interesting. You have to move those into the thing there, and you actually get some some things that appear, some decorations and some Pokemon that start showing up once you start cleaning up uh, the bottles and stuff. But I did want to point this out, and I, I do try and do that there. Well, good for you putting out your part for recycling. So. Yes, yes. So, All right, so that's, that's our feedback. Like I said, you can always give us a comment or an email or try and find us on social media. But, um, so this is the last... Gen 4 side game, and as usual, we're going to do a little bit of a break before we get to Gen 5 side games and start discussing their music. So actually, our next episode is going to be Super Smash Brothers Brawl. So some of you may remember that um, between, I believe, like the second and third generation, or, or maybe it was first and second, but somewhere in that era, 
we did an episode on Super Smash Brothers and Super Smash Brothers Melee's music. Well, we finally made it far enough that it's time for us to do a discussion on the music of Super Smash Brothers Brawl. For this one, we're probably going to pick out uh, a couple Pokemon songs each and then one non-Pokemon song. But um, yeah, this entry, um, it's a little bit not completely forgotten, but it was never popular with the, the tournament scene. Um, even when it was the most recent entry, there were some definite mechanical things I didn't like about it very much. Um, and it's definitely been superseded by newer Smash Brothers, but it's also uh, the entry where the amount of music in the game absolutely exploded. The first couple games have a decent amount of music, but this one really goes out there. And it's where a lot of the music for the modern Smash game games come from. Um, so we're going to have a fun time talking about that. Um, and I assume you you must have at least seen some of this at some point. Um, oh, th- I I have friends. I went to college. I played a lot of this game. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So that'll be our next discussion before we get to that. Um, until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Thank you. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. All right, well, time to talk about Pikachu's adventure as a game. Now, it seems like, based on the uh, title and whatnot, that this is taking the the reins, you know, from the previous Pikachu games, which would have been Hey You Pikachu on the N64 and Pokemon Channel on the GameCube. And this seems like it's the successor series to that, but from a gameplay perspective, very different uh, structure and whatnot. First off, in those first two games, you are a person, and you're sort of directing around Pikachu in the uh, Hey You Pikachu, it's by voice. And in Pokemon Channel, it's, you know, by menus and pointing and stuff like that. After Pokemon Channel didn't, you know, commercially do all that well, we don't have exact sales figures, but it seems like it was not particularly well received. We got this as the new Pikachu-centric game, where you're exploring around an area, you're controlling Pikachu directly and all that stuff. That obviously changes a lot of things, uh, and... How do you feel about that? Um, I mean, I, I definitely think it's an Im- an improvement in that sense. Like, um, like I mean, I love the Mystery Dungeon series, but like, there is something really special about, as you say, like we're not a human in this one. We're just we're just the Pokemon. We're not playing with Pikachu. Like we we are Pikachu, um, and we get to interact with the Pokemon in, and talk to them, and, and you know, in a way that we haven't for other games. Like, there's just something very cute and charming and and uh, different about this game than you know maybe some similar yet previous attempts. Yeah, yeah quality wise, definitely feel this is an improvement from Pokemon oh, yeah. Channel, <laughs> which was interest had some interesting stuff in it, but was definitely not. Didn't feel like it warranted a full game, at least with Hey You Because you could say, oh, this is a, an interesting experiment. Mm. Even if you didn't like that game particularly, you could at least say, okay, they were they were doing something different there. Uh, whereas Pokemon Channel, that was, you know, basically sort of, you know, and then they have this, which is, like I said, exploring a world, uh, meeting people, and all that stuff. So we talked a fair bit about the attractions, which are the the big mini games in there, and the way those basically work is that you sort of a, a way you select a Pokemon from a list of available Pokemon. Uh, you your goal over the course of the game within each area is you make a lot of friends, um, and then once they're friends, some of them you can use in these mini games. But there are also these things called skill games, which you do on a one on one basis with Pokemon. And let's see, I think there's 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 chase, there's battle there's um a platforming task i forget exactly what they call it but the, there's a handful of them where you have to go do an obstacle course type of deal and there's also a trivia one um so that's how you actually befriend most of the pokemon in the game occasionally you do fetch quests and the like and stuff like that um but those are the sort of the four main ones there uh, and how did you uh, sort of feel about those mechanically I really liked them. I, again, I haven't had a ton of time to play, but like, 
I am a sucker in all the Pokemon games for just running around and talking to characters and building interactions. So like, you know, getting to run around and like talk to a Caterpie or a Butterfree or a Chimchar and like play whatever game they want to play with you is very charming to me, very fun. I love it. Um, and then, of course, there's the big areas where you can take them as well. Like, I really like that idea. I mean, I can see it getting repetitive, maybe. But again, I haven't been with it enough to, for that to happen. Well, well, generally, I think there's a good enough variety between those. Uh, and you can, I mean, you can usually guess which one they're going to do. Like, if it's a fast runner, you're probably going to play chase. If it mm. looks tougher, you're probably going to uh, battle it. It does try to work in, like, for the battling stuff, some type mechanics, like uh, some of the, the ground-based ones, your Thunderbolt won't hurt it, and they even tell you that sometimes beforehand. Although, it like, with Pikachu's, I don't know if it's it's slam or tackle or whatever, the, the normal type move it has is is absolutely fine against ghosts and whatnot, so hmm. they don't totally uh, keep that, uh, keep to that type chart there, but... Um, but still, like, it's nice that they kind of alluded to some of those mechanics, yeah. even for, you know, your limited move set. And the and the, the quiz ones are, are kind of interesting. They're usually quizzes about the games or certain Pokemon and their, you know, features and anatomy and stuff like that that you have to do various times throughout the game. I, I do wonder how they chose those specific ones. I'm thinking Corsola is one of them, and I'm, I guess they didn't want to have to animate one too much since it doesn't really have great stuff in the way of legs and stuff to move around on. I know that's kind of kind of sad, but this is kind of occurred to me right now. All right, well, we talked about um, the attractions during our main discussion in terms of their music, and we mentioned them a little bit earlier. Uh, but these are sort of the, the big ticket items, I guess, if you want to say that, where you have to do stuff uh, that's a little more complicated, that you have to go through either uh, some sort of task there. I don't know. And what were your kind of thoughts on the various attractions? I, I'm guessing you maybe didn't get to play all of them. But what are your kind of thoughts? I I did not, but like I really, like I really enjoyed them. Like the the little bit I got, like I liked the idea of like working up to a big game, kind of if that's if that makes sense, or like you know meeting a boss at one of these areas was pretty cool. Like I said, I did not make it very far at all. But, like, I was really looking forward to getting to to the Haunted Zone and to the Venusaur and, like, again, just kind of getting to explore this world and try new things and, again, have a, you know, after all the little mini games to kind of get to the big game, if that makes sense. Like, I, I thought they paced it very well. Yeah, there's definitely a bit of structure there. Although I will say, like, some of the later attractions are very clearly, like, slightly more complicated versions of previous ones. Like the very first attraction is just to shake the Wii remote to run. Um, mm. And then later there are a couple more running and like hurdles type of attractions. See, there is, they're not all completely distinct is what I would, what I mean to say there. Like you get the right. Venusaur swinging vine one. There's another one where you swing across multiple vines in the haunted area. So some of them do feel a bit repetitive. Some of them are quite distinct, though. Like uh, the Rotom one is sort of a thing where you have to basically you have to defend, and you point the Wii remote at the screen, and you turn around to zap all the ghosts until you lose there to score as many points as you can. Um, yeah, I think I'm with you. Like having not tried it, I I think I would rather yeah have more variety of games rather than the same thing just a little harder. But yeah, so let's see. Now, I don't know, since you were so early in there, um, I don't know if you got to this part, but once you get to the uh, meeting place area, there's a variety of Pokemon there. You can pay them in berries to upgrade your various skills. So you can make your Thunderbolt, I think, uh, have a longer range. You can make your dash faster. Let's see. You can learn Iron Tail. And, and, oh, you can also improve your HP as well. I don't know if you got to that part. But it's it's an upgrade structure, and you know, for some of like the the more complicated chases, and uh, I guess theoretically you don't need to ever upgrade your HP, but I kind of recommend if you're playing through this game you do. Um, and did you get a chance to experiment with any of that? Um, not a lot. I I do remember talking to like a shroomish or something, and like like I could exchange berries for things. So, but I I didn't have a chance to like form opinions on whether or not I needed the HP. Um, so I, I I didn't do much with that, but yeah, I do think I did make it somewhere where I could 
do something with my berries. Yeah, the the dash one, which you uh, you upgrade by talking to Ponyta and paying in some berries there. First of all, I think it's virtually necessary for some of the chase sequences, for some of the Pokemon that you chase in there. Mm. And also, it's it, well, if you keep upgrading, you eventually get to a point where Pikachu, like, just absolutely, like, almost gets difficult to control when you're doing the dash stuff and actually can make oh, certain really? stuff harder. It's a little bit weird there in that regard. But I definitely wanted to mention it. And it does show up again in the uh, second Poke Park game. But, um, I had mentioned this somewhat with the music and stuff. The tone of the game is also, you know, obviously this game is geared at the younger part of the Pokemon audience. And I think it does a good job there. Although you do need to have at least some reading skills with it because there is voice acting, but that's just the Pokemon, you know, saying their voices things. All the other stuff is actually text in the game. So you definitely need at least some reading ability or someone who is willing to help you out there. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about the the tone uh, of this game um, and so on? The tone I loved because as much as I I do love and praise like the Mystery Dungeon series for like, you know, its plot and the way it rips your heart out and stomps it on the floor. Like sometimes I also love to play a game that is just charming and I can just vibe and that is kind of what this game is. I I do find it interesting you pointed out that, yeah, there's a a fair – amount of reading and I'd be interested in like making my little nephews play it because I've recently started playing games with them and some of them are you know three four five and I'm surprised at how quickly they pick up a lot of Mario games even though they can't really read any instructions on how to do stuff that they just kind of seem to intuitively sort of figure it out either between what they can read or, like, just button ma- I don't know. So I'd be interested to see, like, how they did on a game like this where it, so- it seems like some parts you'd have to be able to read or at least it would definitely be a lot easier. But I feel – like, I almost feel like kids today are just, like, figuring crap out on their own. So, like, yeah, I'd be interested to play it with actual children and see how that went because um, now that you pointed out – I. I am realizing, like, all the instructions right at the very beginning, there's no pictures or anything kind of describing what you do. It's all text. So, hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, a question about accessibility there. Especially since this is a 3D game, I don't know if they're playing, like, Mario Odyssey or one of the 2D Mario games or stuff like that. Mario Party. Oh, okay. Yeah, those, you know, you can sort of in, intuit there. Yeah, so this may one maybe not as much. This one, I mean, you can obviously, you know, just go around and explore stuff, and maybe you'll figure some stuff out eventually. Um, but that is kind of an, an interesting thought there. So, Anne, I know you haven't gotten too far into this, but um, are, are you enjoying your time? I, I think we both like this more than uh, than Pokemon Channel from a gameplay perspective. But what have your been your your enjoyment level so far on this one? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been enjoying it a lot. Um, I mean, comparing anything to Pokemon Channel, it's a it's a low bar there. But definitely, like this is just a very cute game. It's very like it it's fun and engaging, and it's like I mean, it's not like it's got the most complex plot or anything, but it is just very fun to just run around and play mini games and just kind of sort of enjoy your time in a, in a, in the way that a lot of mini games are i guess like i don't know if it necessarily compares plot wise or gameplay wise to say a main series game or a mystery dungeon style game but it definitely like i would say compares to like a troze or Battle Revolution or um, Pokemon Stadium. Um, I'm enjoying it a lot. I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah, I I did replay through it fully uh, leading up to here. Part of that was just because I lost my save file uh, when my Wii went into the shop to get repaired a ways back. So I didn't had to start from scratch on this just to re-familiarize myself. But I generally did enjoy my time here. Uh, even if it wasn't maybe the most, like, I mean, we talked about sort of this being aimed at a younger audience. The puzzles aren't super difficult or st- anything like that. But generally, from a mechanical perspective, I did enjoy my time here, even though if I think there were a number of things that could be improved. So uh, overall, I mean, yes, obviously an improvement over Pokemon Channel, but I think a, a, a good entry uh, in the, I guess, Pikachu quote-unquote series. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely for their um, games that were marketed to younger audiences, which um, a lot of the Pikachu games, like the Hey You Pikachu Pokemon Channel, those games were like this. Seems like a very solid entry like maybe not every grown adult is gonna love it quite the same but like it's you know it's it's a fun it's engaging it's simple for the younger audiences i i think it's great yeah i more or less agree we were talking um before we started recording a bit about the opening of it and how it kind of reminded us a little bit of arceus and how you know the protagonist is falling from the sky and the legendary pokemon comes in and speaks to you directly like that, I don't know. That was a, just a funny parallel. I thought to kind of, you know, not make Chikorita sound so incredibly different or something. Well, not Chikorita because Chikorita says her Japanese name, but but you know what I mean. Sounds so incredibly different than everything everyone expected.